What is up, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I am TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. You can find us on Twitter at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, at Selby is Godcast. And of course, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you happen to catch your podcast. And we thank everybody that leaves us a five-star review, leaves us some kind words there, helps us rise up the rankings, and helps other Indians fans find the podcast. What is up, my brother? You know, you never let me say my own name there. We it could be like us recording a a cool voicemail or answering machine message if we were roommates like they used to do back in the day. Like you'd be like, "It's TJ Zuby," and I'd say, "And Zach Meisel." And you're listening to the Selby is Godcast. Like we get a, such a cool opening. Sure, we could do that anytime you want. We could coordinate that. We can even sing it. You get like a barbershop quartet going on if you want to bring in a couple more people. I am all for new ideas for how to make this thing sound snappier. All right. Do you want to try it from the top? Yeah, sure. All right. Ready? Go ahead. Beep. Hey, what's up? It's TJ Zuppi. And Zach Meisel. And you're listening to the Selby is Godcast. Cast. All right. We'll work on it. Yeah, it sounds like a million people unsubscribing right now. All right, so what's going on, man? Nothing. The season's half over. Um, so, yeah. You know, normally at this point in the season, the Indians have played 100 and, what, 10, 115 games. It's like they say it's the dog days of August, and <laughs> I'm, I've kind of got one eye on the baseball field and the other eye on – the football schedule and I'm getting antsy because it's like the peak of sports when you've got baseball pennant races, college football starting up, the NFL starting up. Um, that's always when it's so exciting. But now it's like baseball's half over and we don't know what's on the horizon. It might be nothing. So it's a little terrifying. Yeah, don't say nothing on the horizon. Be something, I <laughs> hope. Um, but it's been a... A week filled with a lot of the same sorts of storylines for an Indians offense that scuffles at times to get going, and then all of a sudden it comes all at once like a dam breaking. We've seen a couple of games like that, and then we get to see a an extra inning game that goes the Indians' way. And we also see perhaps a, a face turn, a heel turn. I don't know what that would be called when it comes to you and the extra inning rule. I mean, could you actually be down with that now? No, just just because the no? the Indians, the Indians' performance in the extra innings has nothing That's to not do with what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just from an entertainment standpoint. Look, it was entertaining because the Indians got other base runners and they executed a squeeze bunt, and Mike Freeman delivered an RBI single up the middle. I mean, but there were I'm other talk- things that happened. I'm talking about as a baseball fan, you didn't find that compelling. That was not compelling TV when the Indians put a runner at second to begin the inning. And, of course, they execute, so it's compelling from that standpoint. But then they they get the two runs, then they go to Brad Hand. The the rain is coming. It's intensifying, if we're going to use the winter meetings terms. And (laughs) now there's a runner at second base again, so instantly you're starting with traffic. Take yourself out of the mindset of what would it be like for an Indians fan watching this or a White Sox fan watching this, but say you're tuning in to ESPN last night and the the rain obviously takes away some sense of, of some of the excitement, but wouldn't you be locked in as just as a, a regular baseball fan to see what's going to happen in that setting? I think <laughs> I kind of like it. I mean, I'm partially biased because I knew I had a morning tea time scheduled (laughs) planned in advance because we knew this was the first finally the indians have an off day um and so lo and behold that always happens the game gets shifted to a night game and then there's a rain delay and extra innings it reminded me of i think it was 2014 when the indians were in kansas city they get shifted to sunday night baseball at the last minute Um, i think i had a monday morning flight anyway but then it went extra innings then there was a huge thunderstorm and the game got suspended um and i remember that was the next morning was the first time i ever had coffee and now i can't live without it so um that always happens and so part of me was just like i was relieved the indians scored and then i was like let's go 
let's get these outs here. And, and um, then, of course, it rained. But I, I look, my, my issue was never – I knew there could be some excitement and the games could end quicker. I have obviously no issue with how it played out last night because it was exciting. It created new, different things. The shield squeeze play was, was awesome. That's not the issue. The issue is that you don't have to do that. The Royals were able to score a run by just a sack bunt and a sack fly and then a strikeout, and the inning's over. They didn't do anything well, um, and they scored a run. The Indians didn't, and that was that. It's just it's boring. You know, you sh- it should be a little bit more difficult than that. You should have to get a hit um, to, to score this run or have the other team screw something up. But you know, the, the Indians I mean, benefited from ha- both of those things. You could have a situation anyways where a team scores without getting a hit. I understand that, but it's a lot harder when you... I mean, if, if it was a runner on second base and one out so that, you know, you basically needed a single to, to get that run home, or if it was a runner on first with nobody out, I'd be okay. I just think you need to work a little harder because I don't... I don't want to see all these games be decided by which team can get a sack bunt down and which team can't. That's not the baseball I'm looking to see in 2020. No, that's fair. I don't. I hate that it has to come down to using sack bunts just from a standpoint of there's a runner in scoring position, so you're just going to move them up 90 feet. I mean, I, I read the article that Mike Petriello did breaking down statistically what makes sense. And for the most part, unless you're the home team and you know the one run wins the game, if you're coming up there as a visiting team, laying down a bunt as your first out just to move the runner is silly business because the team's going to get an, an opportunity with the guy back at second base the next inning. Just playing for one run probably isn't the smart play. You could play for multiple. So I don't necessarily think any team should just go up there and start laying down sack bunts. It worked out in the Indians' favor, you know, and I was kind of upset with Sandy Alomar last night because I didn't think it was a smart move to pull Fran Mil Reyes out of the game after he had just tied it earlier to put Delino de Shields in there as a pinch runner and instantly the inning is over and you're without Fran Mil Reyes for the rest of the game. I didn't like that and then it ended up working out where he comes up in a situation where Delino de Shields if we could talk about what he doesn't do well offensively but there is a lot that he does do well and if it's utilized correctly he can be an absolute game changer. Mm-hmm. In, in those short little bursts, whether it's as a pinch runner, it's defensively, or it is, like last night, using the bunt as an element uh, of a weapon that typically isn't something that you, you really like. So I think that kind of worked out for them last night, but overall, overall the yeah. rule has grown on me quite a bit. It places too much emphasis on where you are in the batting order. Like if you're at 8-9-1... You're probably laying down that sacrifice bunt, and you're playing it that way. You know, the Indians were in the middle of their order last night, and it worked out. You know, you're not sending Lindor up there to bunt, although you can make the argument he should, the way he's been with runners in scoring position for the last year plus. But um, I just, I've never had a problem with extra inning baseball. Like, it's so infrequent that we get that 16-inning game. It's not a big deal. I hate that the NFL has ties after one overtime. I've never understood it. Just keep playing. Someone's going to score eventually. We don't need a clock. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I-, I-, I could live with it if they started it later, too. Like, can we just play a 10th and an 11th inning like normal and then institute it in the 12th? Is that going to kill anybody? I mean, part of the game, part- like, I know we want things to be safe this year and you don't want people at the ballpark too long. You don't want to ravage pitching staffs. But part of the game is, you know, you might not have your best reliever ready or available the next night. Like, that's that's baseball. So I don't have an issue if, you know, a team has to cycle through its pitchers. Like, they're still getting tested at the alternate site. If the Indians and White Sox go 15 innings and the Indians have to dip into their alternate site to bring in some relievers for a few days, like, that's part of baseball. Like, Think about when the Indians and Blue Jays went 19 innings in 2016. Like, that changed the course of the season. That had an effect. That cost Jabba Chamberlain his job. Like, the Indians pitchers were really tired for a while. And it made a difference. Like, that's that's part of the game. And I know nothing in 2020 is normal. And there are all these contingencies and superficial rules that just have to get us through the year. But I just, I, I don't, I don't love this. I'm not saying you have to love it. I'm saying I kind of love it. 
You can make up your own damn mind, but I kind of dig it. You know, it's not going to make sense from um, when you're looking at the sanctity of the game and it making sense from like an earned run sort of perspective. Yeah, it kind of looks weird to then just drop a runner at second base. I'm just talking from an entertainment standpoint for a sport that has very often an entertainment issue. Would you say that the the one game wild card scenario has been a success so far for baseball as far as entertainment and television viewing and just how compelling that game can be would you say that's yes. a success sure well doesn't it also go against the sanctity of the game to have everything based on just one a one game sample that, that goes against everything that this sport is about. It really yeah, doesn't. Yeah, but those are, you're not supposed, that's a consolation prize anyway. Win your division and you don't have to worry about it. Well, win the game and regulation and you don't have that to worry about fair. it. That is fair. I mean, look, I, I think the one thing that could maybe get me to change my mind or soften my stance a little is I need to see a game where it still goes 13. Both teams like score a run. Three straight innings. Yeah, um, I just I, it, it, and I, I, know, I want the college football overtime scenario where it's right. just going back and forth for seven overtimes. Then it would be fantastic. Yeah, because I, I I understand it can add entertainment and it's you know it gives you runs and it's you know at least <laughs> there are times when a game the manager goes, runs. Yeah. <laughs> there are times when a game goes fourteen innings and it feels like no one's ever going to score. And I get those games can be boring. Um, but like the games when teams are just going back and forth and it just seems like no matter what you do in the top of the inning, the team in the bottom of the inning is going to come back and tie it or win it. That's that's fun. So I just I guess I need to see one of those. I, I don't know. Do you want this to stay? Do you hope this continues in 2021? Can I can I have some more time? Do I have to decide right now? You're going to have to the end of the podcast. <laughs> well, all right. Let me think about it for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, you know, it should stay. I've, I've decided. All right. No, I, I, I honestly would need to see a little bit more, but I am I am slowly working my way to that side of the fence. It's, it reminds me of how I felt about the intentional walk rule with not throwing any pitches and i said oh, but you're gonna lose the one out of every thousand times where somebody throws one to the backstop why did people make a big deal out of that or <laughs> miguel cabrera hits one in the other batter's box for a double you're gonna miss I out on believe those. i cannot believe that pitchers used to throw <laughs> just remember catchers would stand straight up with their glove wide like we really did that i i know that's what i'm saying at the time i thought it was silly now part of it wasn't so much that I thought it was going to ruin the game. I just didn't think it made a difference as far as time goes. And it's sort of like the, the three batter minimum. Did I hate the rule from the standpoint of that it l limits one of the, the tools in a manager's toolbox? I don't know. But I thought it was, it was much ado about nothing from a standpoint of what it was actually being implemented to do, which was save time. I didn't think it was going to save that much time. But it's kind of been... It's kind of been fun to watch teams navigate that part of their their pitching stabs now to, to have to worry about keeping guys in the game and and, and utilize strategy different. And we're, we're this far into the season, and I don't know that I've really paid that much attention to the three batter minimum. I mean, have you thought about it very much? Because I have not. No, someone brought up a good point. Our buddy, friend of the podcast, loyal listener, Scoops Maroon, um, Asked a question that I don't know the answer to yet. I gotta, I gotta inquire. But if you know, if Brad Hand didn't face three batters, and they have the rain delay, does he have to come back and face a third? You know, after he's been sitting for forty-five minutes. Or I wouldn't think that's the My case. My guess is no, but I have not seen that. <laughs> I mean, weren't they unfair enough to that guy with? Bradley Zimmer flubbing balls to center field. And you know, Brad Hand has done a lot to to nitpick about this year, but I felt like that outing was like, okay, well, he gets one out, and then somebody makes what should have been an error, but it's not. It's a bloop single. Bradley Zimmer misplays it because the rain is coming down in, in, 
like it is cats and dogs and looking for Noah's Ark at that point. It is 2020, so who knows what might happen. And and so he issues a walk and, and everyone goes, well, he's he's melting down again. <laughs> Thinking he issued a walk. He should have two outs and no run should have scored at this point because that runner was not his responsibility at second base. So he issued a walk and now everyone wants to drive him off the cliff. This is kind of not his fault. He's and I'm seeing like, it's, it's oh, not melting. Look, it's dripping. Look at the. Look at the velocity. It's going down to 89. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> in this situation, of course it is. Dude looks like his shoes are about ready to fly off with mud cake to the bottom. I can't, I can't have any sort of evaluation of what was happening in that, that, that 10th inning. That was ridiculous. I don't know what the hell they were doing. I, I mean, I know they were trying to get the end of the game in, but my word, that was terrible. So I know because of this season, the way things are, we're gonna we're seeing a lot of remote broadcasts, right? And and you know, announcers aren't traveling. ESPN's doing it in a studio in Bristol last night. Um, I understand it's it's necessary this season. I guess uh, whatever. I hope this doesn't become a norm. I hope companies don't just say, "Oh, well, we can just keep our reporters back and they can or announcers back and they can watch on TV and call it." There were so many things. And this isn't just ESPN, but there have been so many things missed because you're just restricted to the video shots you get. and You're just watching the same broadcast we are and saying what happens. So like whether it's there was one point last night when um, when the Indians scored their two runs, Matt Viscursion wasn't sure if they were sending around like the second runner like, until he saw the guy score um, or hold held up at third base, whatever it was. So um they didn't notice it was raining until like, <laughs> until they saw Noah coming out from behind the visitors' dugout with his freaking ark, um, and I'm sitting there thinking like, you know, I, I wonder if they would actually have a rain delay here because it looks like it's pouring pretty hard, um, but the announcers haven't mentioned it, and then finally they did, and you can see like, I think they showed Oscar Mercado at one point he caught a fly ball and like, water's dripping off his cap, his arms are completely soaked like. Someone point this out, but it, it's, I was wondering how long they were going to let that go. And then that's, that's when the extra inning rules could be interesting because, you know, if Brad Hand just throws wild pitch after wild pitch, I guess those runners would score and, and they'd still be playing. I was also thinking about, from an announcer standpoint, if you're, Matt Vaskersian, uh, for the most part, stays pretty even keel when he's just talking Santa Maria but until you get to something exciting then he really starts almost screaming and that's his style and it makes it really difficult I would imagine if you're an announcer if you're an announcer that stays pretty even keel even when you're announcing something happening on the field you probably don't notice that much of a difference but even here locally with Matt Underwood when there's a big play you know he gets pumped up he's He's yelling about it. He's excited about it. And it makes it really weird because if you're a broadcaster sitting behind center, you know, sitting behind home plate and you get the whole view of the field and a guy gets into one to hit, it's hit the left field. You can lay into it immediately. You know, that ball's going to be gone. And if these announcers are sitting at home and they're thinking, I don't know, I got to give it three seconds and wait and see what happens on this television monitor. It, it almost had me wondering if TV broadcasts could delay the actual, this would make it difficult if you ever showed the announcer in the, the broadcast booth like STO has actually done. But if you're, if you never show the broadcasters and you're never showing actual people talking, could you do something with the TV feed to delay it a half a second from where the, the broadcaster is talking? So it almost lines up a little bit more quickly so that they don't, you know, they're not having to say that ball's hit down the line and we'll wait for the, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's a foul ball. Could they do something like that? I, I, I I'm do just think thinking they... about it, how difficult it would be for an announcer to try to lay in any emotion right now right. when you just can't see what's happening on the field. Yeah, I, it sounds like the play-by-play guys have been a um, little apprehensive about that. I... It's weird. Like at the home games, I mean, anytime there's a home run, you can hear Hammy. You can hear Hammy when it's not, when there's just a sparse crowd during a normal season. You can absolutely hear him anytime he says swing and a miss, strike three called, or swing and a drive. And 
you know, when he's at home, it, it's obvious. And, and you can tell when you're there off the bat, usually, I mean, there are always people who jump the gun and we give them shit in the press box. But um, for the most part, you can tell when a ball's hit well enough. And you're right, on the TV, you're just restricted to what that camera shot is. And how many times have you been watching a game on TV and the can't, you know, someone strikes it well and the camera like points up at the freaking moon. And so you think it's long gone and then like the center fielder camps under it in shallow center. Like and we've seen that so many times. So, you know, you, you could, I'd imagine if you're a broadcaster, you could feel pretty foolish if you, if you fall for that. So you're right. It's, it's really difficult. And, you know, there've just been times, I mean, when the Indians were in Minnesota and there was that replay and like Underwood and Manning didn't really know what was going on. The twins broadcasters didn't either. And how could you, I'm sure people in the press box didn't know what was going on, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, being remote and just only having a few camera angles and not knowing exactly what's happening. You know, it's, we're not getting as much as we normally would. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm not criticizing here. I know these yeah, are the circumstances we're dealt. It's just, you know, it's one of those facets of this season that is, it's interesting and, and different from the norm. It's not, it's even as simple as if they're talking about something they see on the field, they, they, they made fun of the AJ Pruszynski cutout behind home plate where it looks like he's Eminem. Mm -hmm. And if it was a normal broadcast, you'd have a producer in the truck and you would be coordinating with cameramen. You'd be able to get a shot of that pretty quickly to show it on the broadcast with them talking about it. Well, right now it's, it's them just talking over the broadcast and they have no way of relaying, you know, direct a shot here, get us a, a picture of that. There's none of that going on. Even there was a replay where they there was a runner at second base and it was a close play and they kept showing this still frame of, of a shot. They have three good shots and they just keep going back to this one where you couldn't see shit. And they just kept it on the screen for like 20 seconds. Eventually, Matt Underwood said, hey, listen, we don't have any any way of telling them to get off of this shot, but this shot is worthless to us, and we're kind of <laughs> at the mercy of the people in Chicago running this broadcast right now. So it's, uh, I imagine it's a pain in the ass for everybody, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I the other thing is like, I think when you're home and like there's a handful of us reporters in the press box, you know, you've got the TV replay. You can kind of figure out what's going on. It's different. Like, there's no official score in the press box. Even the PR staff is kind of spread out on that level of the ballpark. Um, you know, you, you don't have... Normally, if you're in the hallway, you can hear Tom Hamilton's play-by-play. -play. Like, you don't have as many resources to tell you what's going on. Um, but, like, when I was in Cincinnati and I'm sitting out in right field by myself, it's the same thing. Like, you're on an island. You don't know. Like a fly ball is hit and like, I don't have the greatest angle. I can't tell if that's going to be warning track or if it's going to be a three run Homer. And there's no fans to tell you, you know, whether it's in the Indians favor, or it's not in the Indians favor. So it's, there's so much guesswork going on. It's, it's, it's eerie. It's, it's very strange. And I think, you know, imagine like game seven of the world series or imagine like pretend Rajay Davis is home run. Like, if there are no fans there, because that thing snuck over the fence, right? Hit the camera. And like, no one knew that was going to be gone until it disappeared. You'd have no one reacting to that. It would just be like this low liner toward left field. And we wouldn't know if it was going to be a game-tying home run in the eighth inning of game seven or, you know, a double off the wall, um, you know, to, to score Brandon Geyer. Like, I, it... it it could just be so strange in the postseason if there are still no fans, if broadcasters can't travel. Um, it's this is all so weird. It's the apocalypse. <laughs> I don't. At this point, it is officially expect the unexpected. Uh, neither one of us, by the way, expected the Indians' offense to be as bad as it has been for the majority of this season. And I looked it up today. They're still last in slugging. And I think that probably surprises me more than anything because they're not the worst slugging team in baseball. It kind of comes back to something we talked about last week. There's a belief of, you know, what is the talent level of your offense? And are they, are they performing to a level that seems reasonable for that? And to this point, they have not based on the talent that they have. Neither one of us believe it's a, it's a top five offense in baseball here, but I, th I think we both kind of felt like they were good enough heading into this year where they could be adequate, if not a little bit above average, if things kind of went well for them. And a lot of it comes down to you just, 
you've gotten so little from Francisco Lindor. Uh, Carlos Santana is walking like nobody's business, but he yeah. he, do, he doesn't have those pro productive slugging base hits that would raise the slugging percentage. And so while I'm, I guess I'm not that surprised to see them seventh most in strikeout percentage because they have been playing Bradley Zimmer a lot, and they have Fran Mil Reyes, they have Domingo Santana, they have some guys that strike out. But to see them last in slugging, it, it, it on one hand you go, what the hell, that's concerning. And on the other you go, well, maybe not because... They're not this bad offensively, and they're, if they start hitting any bombs at the rate that we kind of expect them to, then things should start to even out a little bit. It's a it's a weird thing to try to examine this offense right now. Yeah, they're drawing a ton of walks, which is, that's always healthy. Santana obviously is the leader in that, but you're right. I mean, who has performed well? Who's, who's exceeded expectations? I mean, uh, you could say Cesar Hernandez... Because he's hitting 305 with an on-base percentage north of 400. Yeah, he's been spectacular. There's nothing to but be upset about with him. He hasn't been like otherworldly. But that's I mean, not him. That he is a, just a steady performer that's going to be above average and get on base. That's but that's what I'm saying is I don't think there's anybody in this lineup on this team. I don't think there's a single person who's going to regress. You know, usually there are guys who are hot, guys who are cold, and at some point they all meet in the middle. Well, the guys who have been quote unquote hot, Ramirez, his numbers are like he can do more. Cesar Hernandez, I think like maybe he'll drop off a little bit, but not a ton. And then everybody else on the roster at some point should pick it up. Framil Reyes has, has looked better lately, but I mean that strikeout to walk ratio is is not what I think he's capable of, and he has two home runs. I mean he should be able to hit for more power. Jordan Luplo's been dreadful. But we know for a fact he can crush lefties. So at some point, you would think he'd get going. Domingo Santana should be better than this. Carlos Santana should hit more. Lindor should hit more. Mercado is better than a 285 OPS. My goodness. Um, so, I mean, it, it's it's like we said last podcast. The offense will improve. It's just, will it improve enough to offset the regression that's sure to hit the pitching staff? And we've seen a little bit of it. I mean, we said we jinxed Shane Bieber. Um, he still pitched a <laughs> giving that up night. I'll run. Yeah. <laughs> but, you, but you've seen a little bit of regression from him. Um, you know, I think Aaron Savali has been really good, but also not like, you know, blow the doors off good. Carrasco's been really good. But again, like, I think, I think they're going to be okay. I still think they have a good team. Um, you know, the one area that kind of would scare me more in terms of regression would be the, the bullpen. Like, isn't Karen check due for one of those outings where he can't find the strike zone? Um, aren't like Nick Wickren and Cam Hill due to, to have a rough outing at some point. So, uh, it's, it's just a matter of, can you get enough offense to offset whatever struggles the pitching staff goes through at some point? And Remains to be seen. I do have one bone to pick with whoever's making out the lineups right now. And Terry Francona is due to be back on Tuesday. So thank goodness that he's in good enough health and spirits to get back to the dugout. I think, uh, and we can expand on this in a bit, but I think Sandy Alomar has done a, a very fine job of stepping in. And he's not, it's not his team. He's not exactly managing it the way that he probably would manage it if it was his team, but managing it in the way that he thinks Terry Francona would manage it. I think he's done a, a pretty solid job. But my, my one gripe is, and this started before Tito's absence, is they're just working in too many outfielders. I would like to see, mm -hmm. and I think he, he deserves it, Domingo Santana should be playing every day and should get a legitimate opportunity to hit. He's got enough of a career trajectory here where you should give him an opportunity because the ceiling for him is still in my eyes, bigger than or higher than, than some of the other guys they might be plugging in. And I know you're looking for a spark. So you you, you go with Zimmer one day, then you go with Luplo the next day, and then you go with the shields and then Mercado and, and you're just running through the list. But I, I think it would benefit those guys. I just, I, if you're really searching offensively, if you're only playing three, four times a week and you're not getting legitimate at bats, I can't imagine it's easy to work your way out of it. I, I would like them and even if that means you have to ride some of these cold stretches, pick three guys and kind of stick with them 
and let them see if they can work themselves out of it. Especially, And I keep coming back to Domingo Santana because I don't understand. And, and maybe there's something else at play. Maybe he's been banged up and they haven't really said something about it or whatever the case may be. But I've been surprised with how little he's been in the lineup considering when he is even close to being what he can be, he, he is actually a guy that could carry an offense for a week. So what three outfielders would you pick? That's tough right And now. keep in mind, Tyler Naquin, my yeah. guess, my sense, we're recording this Monday afternoon, my sense is that he'll be activated this week and very possibly prior to Tuesday's game. Well, Domingo Santana is one of them. I'm With Mercado, I think he gets more of an opportunity because of what he did last year. The speed, the defense, all the things he can bring to the table. As much as I would also like to get Bradley Zimmer more at bats, I, I at this point would stick with Mercado. I want to see him work his way out of it, and the only way he's going to do it is if he gets the at bats. I I understand sitting a guy every once in a while when he might need a mental blow or a mental day off. That makes sense to me, but I don't think what is best for for him is just sticking him on the bench and trying to find somebody else unless somebody else just steps up and does start hitting it's not like bradley zimmer has hit so well that you got to put mercado on the bench i that's that's a tough call but you got to stick with somebody you've got to give somebody legit just legitimate uh, three four at bats every single game an opportunity to work themselves out of it yeah i'd probably go naquin luplo platoon domingo and right I guess Mercado in center, but I mean, the thing with Zimmer is like the best thing he's done this season is get hit by pitches. <laughs> he's got four of them. It's really helped his on base percentage. I don't know. I like what I've seen from DeShields. He also has enough of a track record to know yeah. he's not going to give you too much of a boost if he's playing every day. I like how they've found spots for him to make a difference. Um, yeah, I think if you can strategically pick where he's where he's in there, then that's where he can yeah. make more of a difference than playing every single day getting three to four at-bats. So I, it's tough. I mean, they're just – nobody has really shown much of anything. Um, you know, you're, you're not there, – there's nothing you can point to this season and be like, you know what? We've seen this guy do this. We believe if he played every day, he could do much more. Um, it's tough. I, I, and like with Luplo, I mean, they wanted him to be an everyday player. <laughs> that was that was the plan to at least give him a chance to do that coming into this season. And now he looks so lost and can't even hit lefties. So I, I don't know. Naquin's going to get a shot. I don't know how much they're going to play him against lefties, though. Probably doesn't make a ton of sense, um, just because otherwise Luplo doesn't really have a spot. You're right, though. I mean, that's that's the way I would. Uh, that's the way I'd lean. Is it's better to find three guys and ride them instead of just pulling three names out of a hat every night and wishing them the best. That certainly hasn't worked. And the other thing is, you know, you're getting absolutely nothing out of the catcher spot. So once you get past Reyes. The bottom four is just automatic, and it's that's tough. You know, you can't you can't consistently score runs that way. And they haven't. <laughs> that's right. um, you know you you hope that Roberto Perez works his way back and then is fine and the shoulders good and but I don't know what he's going to be when he comes back. He he didn't look like the guy that he was last year in his early. Uh, stint but it's not like you, you really saw much and if he was ailing then i don't know how much you can truly take away from that but yeah i mean when you are getting legitimately nothing from the catcher position and the other guys are struggling and it does make it tough when you get to the bottom i i understand looking for a spark but i i feel like the better alternative is just finding some guys and sticking with them especially you know, I can I can sort of understand where they're coming from with Zimmer and Mercado and kind of flipping between them, but Domingo Santana should be in there almost every single day. They need pop. He's got some. Or soda. Do you say soda? <laughs> We're in Ohio, dude. This is pop. Pop territory. Okay. I'll never forget going on vacation when I was young, and and we, we said something about pop, and the waitress looked at us like we had three heads. 
I didn't understand why she didn't know what we were talking about. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think sticking with at least some semblance of the same three to four guys would be better than just rotating it. The rushes have shrunk a little bit, so it makes it a little bit easier to find guys, but just put somebody out there and stick with them. Even God, Mike Freeman, God love him, finding ways to help this team out offensively. It's like, okay, you got all these outfielders, and then yesterday, uh, throw Mike Freeman out in left field and see what the hell happens. Uh, they legitimately are just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, I mean, I... And that's not to say Mike Freeman is shit, by the way. Before anyone sends him a tweet. Too late. Uh, you know, so the Indies are 10-7. and seven, And I think that's fair. That represents what they've done. The pitching's been historically great. The offense has been historically terrible. Um, I, it's so weird and difficult to evaluate teams because everyone is dealing with such different circumstances. I mean, you look at the standings and the Cardinals are two and three. <laughs> they played five games. The Indians have played 17. Um, it's so strange. Like the Cardinals, hey, they're tied in the loss column with the Cubs who are sitting in first place. Um, but they're eight wins behind them. Good luck catching up. So it's just so... It's so weird. Like the Tigers are eight and five, so they're still hanging around. I don't know what to make of the standings, and I feel like they're not going to tell us much information until like the last week of September, because um, all these teams have double headers that they have to make up. And, and... Well, how would you like to be a team that, like the Cardinals that hasn't played any games, and now you have to make decisions about the trade deadline? Yeah. Well, and, and not how the hell do you approach I mean, that? How... How do you evaluate? I mean, we're sitting here with 17 games of evidence trying to evaluate the Indians' outfielders. Well, the Cardinals haven't played in two weeks. What's going to happen when they come back? Like, do you do you pull an, an outfielder if if he struggles for a couple games? Because what's he been? He hasn't seen pitching in two weeks. Um, I I don't know. It's such an uneven playing field, but it's it's messy for everybody. And again, we're going to look back at the season as being very different from the norm, but it's just so bizarre to look at the standings and like, I was trying to formulate a tweet last night to say like, Hey, the Indians are 10 and seven. They're only a half game behind the twins for first place. And then I was like, but wait, the Cardinals or the Tigers have played a bunch fewer games, but they're also tied for second. But I don't know. I mean, the winning percentage is different because the Indians have played four more games. It's so confusing. I, I don't know who's in first place, second place, third place, or what anymore. The Indians are 10-7. and seven. That seems pretty good. <laughs> yeah, all things considered. Offense been terrible. Pitching, great. Find the truth somewhere in the middle, and that's uh, where, where the record lies right now. And it kind of brings us, with all these teams having cancellations and postponements and, and so much uncertainty, you're seeing teams, I think, take this probably more seriously in some places and less seriously in others. And hopefully we've had enough wake-up calls around the sport that everybody is taking the protocols as seriously as they need to. And yeah, I know a lot of people gave the Indians credit for sending Zach Plesak back home. And uh, I don't know how much of that is was easier for them because they don't need a fifth starter right now. And they said, hey, we can make an example of Zach Plesa. I don't think that that's exactly the thought process, but I don't think it hurt them to think, ah, well, you don't need a fist starter right now. So it makes it a little bit easier to send him back home and say, hey, this is this is something if you guys want to keep playing, we can't let happen anymore and sort of use him as an example. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. It was surprising to me when Ken Rosenthal and I got wind of it Sunday because he seemed and he has seemed so focused so determined um not and, and we can take this back to the off season like he he worked hard he went down and trained with Clevenger he went all over the place trying to get better and have a delivery and mechanics that he could repeat and he could that could take him to the next level. I mean, we've seen Bieber make the jump. We saw Clevenger make the jump a while back. You know, now it's it's time for Savali and Plesak to do that. The early returns look great. And then you think back to quarantine when, like, he drove across the country to go train with Clev in Florida and then drove up to go home to Indiana and then drove to 
Cincinnati to a facility. He was in Cleveland throwing. I mean, he was taking the initiative to get better. And that quote is going to haunt him for a while. Made a month ago, the beginning of summer camp, when he said, like, we have to just be focused and shut everything out for a couple months and can't go out to bars and drink and stuff like that because we're trying to win. And, you know, we have to be diligent about this. Well, you weren't. And the fact that he's been so good in his, what, three starts this season, like, it's, he's, he has taken the next step. He's shown what he can do. And I would just think that would give you so much more motivation to stay focused and be diligent and not make stupid decisions. And yet, here we are. Um, So I know, you know, really, um, it really irked a lot of teammates. I think especially that pitching staff because the starters have just been so good, so consistent. And now, you know, you throw a wrench into that. And, like, I know they didn't necessarily need a fifth starter for a couple weeks. Um, but, you know, Plesak, look, I, I know Chris Antonetti said, hey, we were considering sticking him in the bullpen, maybe sending him to, to Lake County just to stay stretched out for a little while. But in a vacuum, like, he'd have as good an argument as anyone to stick in the rotation. He's just been that good. So it's it's so disappointing to, to see why why do you have to do anything to – to give your team extra risk and concern, all you had to do was stay in your hotel room, FaceTime whoever you want to go out with, you know, tell them to meet you in the lobby and stay six feet apart and wear a mask. I, I don't know. There were a lot of things he could have done instead of what he did, and, you know, that's why the Indians sent him on his merry way. Yeah, and uh, good on them, and truthfully, um, all jokes aside, good on them for doing something that I, I hope makes it uh, an, a legitimate example around the game and a, a more of an eye-opener for anybody that would be considering making a similar mistake. At the same time, I don't want to vilify the guy. He's a young kid who made a mistake and looks like he's owning it. He issued an apology, and you know he has to do right by his teammates too in that regard. But I don't think it, it as, as Terry Francona likes to say, you know, one or two or three games isn't going to make a guy's career. I don't think this is something where, oh, well, this makes him a bad teammate or anything like that. No, I think people were legitimately upset with him, but you make mistakes, you learn from them, and you grow. And so the next step will be on him to prove that he is growing. And I think he probably had every intention of doing all the right things, but as we all know, and me to this day, I still act like a child. I make mistakes all the time that make my wife very upset, so... You know, sometimes we just we just have missteps and we grow. We're humans. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I think the look. I don't know what the discipline is. Some players I had talked to Sunday said it was whatever the discipline is is probably going to come from above the player level. Um, but I, you know, the perhaps the greatest penalty he's going to face is the embarrassment. And the fact that it's public knowledge and it's public and it, knowledge so quickly that, you know, they didn't have time to like sweep anything under the rug. Right. And they, and he loses whatever momentum he has built here. So yep. there are some personal losses there that hopefully make this uh, even more of a serious thing for him and serious for everybody else too. And for other players around the league and maybe by him making a mistake, it helps just the entire game continue to actually progress and get be able to get played and, Right. And not have as many uh, future postponements or season stoppages or anything like that. Well, and the Indians were hoping that the Framel Reyes situation yeah. at the beginning of camp was going to be, that's the teachable moment. But, you know, wasn't that for everybody, apparently. Yeah. And, and you could make the case, oh, you know, we're trying to be as safe as possible. And, you know, even when we're going out and it's like, well, okay. Even if you're doing all of those things to make sure that you stay safe, there are still rules in place, and this is what everyone agreed to. And if you want to play the season, you got to abide by these rules. And you can't, you know, if one guy's out there going out, then why can't another guy go out? Why can't another guy go out? So it really puts you in a position where, you know, you kind of elevate yourself over everybody else. It's a selfish moment, but again, it's an, an, a teachable moment and one that I, from everything we've seen so far from Zach Plesak, he seems like a smart kid. He seems like. One that wants to do the right thing. So I'm hoping this is, this again, is something that helps him in the future go about doing the right thing. 
But Plus nothing. now his, his uncle has to talk about it on MLB Network. That's true. Another embarrassment. Who wants to hear their uncle go on TV and talk about him at this point? Uh, not me, that's for sure. Um, you know, it was a bad thing that you wish didn't happen. But then a couple of days ago, Zach, you hit me with something that was a good thing that I am very glad happened. And typically at this time of the show, we settle in for our former ex-random Cleveland Indian of the day. We're not going to do that this week because we have an entire list of (laughs) ex-random Cleveland Indians. Do you want to lay out where this even started and how you got your hands on it? So on Saturday morning, I received a series of messages from a loyal listener, our good friend Brendan Borky. And it's just like a bunch of screenshots. And I'm like, what in God's name is this? And then I looked closer, and they're the most beautiful photos I've ever seen. Brendan went back and wrote down every random Indian we have ever done. We are always fearful that we are repeating ones we've done, and that would just ruin the whole bit. Now, if you can memorize all the names on this list, um, (laughs) we'll be okay. And who wouldn't want to? (laughs) It started, see, I thought we, maybe we didn't do it earlier than this, but the first one was October in 2017. Do you want, do you remember who the first one ever was? I don't. I have no idea. Hector Luna. See, I feel like we've done Hector Luna at least three or four times. I think he's only on here once though. That's incredible. Um, I am so, so very interested to remember all of them that I really want you to do a quick, <laughs> so quick run through of the entire list. Courtesy of Brendan, who just kicked we do ass. Did, did he just, did he sit down? Because usually we do it at the end of the show, but there have been times where we mix them in in the middle and maybe there is a show where we skip it. There's been shows where we maybe do a couple I mean, to, for him to sit down and, and to be able to find it in every single episode, oh my God, this dude just blowing my brain right now. He Can't said this is it. how he spent his quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm selfishly over here finishing Perry Mason and he's over there kicking ass. So I think the only way to do this is to read the names like we didn't start the fire. Yeah, I think that would be appropriate. Hector Luna, Scott Lewis, Jacob Cruz, Danny Baez, Tom Martin, David Segui, Kareem Garcia, Holbert Cabrera, Kevin Seitzer, John Smiley, Steve Reed, Joe Inglet, Mike Bassick, Scott Ellerton, Tim Laker started the fire, Ryan Drees, Chris Johnson, Spider-Man, Jim Poole, Chris Seddon, Enrique Wilson, Brian Anderson, Apparently, we did an episode where we just named a bunch of pitchers from the 2000s. Oh, that we went through all the pitchers from 2000 because that was the year where they just they went through like 40 pitchers. Didn't they you all make me list them all? Yeah. That was a very mean thing you did. Jason Hakame, Adam Everett, Derek Lilliquist, Sean Dunstan, Jeremy Bernitz, Jeff Manto, Jason Grimsley, Lou Merloni, someone named Terry Clark. Alex Ramirez, Masa Kobayashi, Shane Spencer, Ricky Lede, Paul Shuey, Chris Magruder, Tony Graffanino, Todd Hollinsworth, Jason Stanford, Damian Jackson, Danny Graves, Lou Pote, Lars Anderson, <laughs> Mark Clark, Mark Lowe, Trinidad Hubbard, Arthur Rhodes, Justin Sellers, the Tattoo Man, Jesse Levis, <laughs> Chris Nickting and Danny Salazar. <laughs> yeah. Easy to forget, Danny Salazar. Uh, Zach Jackson, not the uh, A to Z podcast. This one spells it Z-A-C-H. Juan Lara. Jason Rakers, Dave Roberts. Eddie Perez. Vinny Rotino. Matt Luke? Who is Matt Luke. Harold Baines. That was a quote from that episode. (laughs) Hall of Famer Harold Baines. 
Trevor Crow, Cecil Fielder, Candy Maldonado, Jeff Leifer, who got a shout out recently on the uh, the Indians do a post on their Instagram every day with a This Day in History, and it's our buddy Jeremy Fedor just picking some random ass. <laughs> oh, I, I get highlights. so excited when I see the date is 2002, 2003, 2004, anywhere in there. I oh boy, who we're we gonna and see? And it's it's like. Someone hits a sack fly in the third inning of the Indians' eight nothing win. It's, you know, it doesn't have to be so and so pitched a complete game shutout or so and so hit a walk off home run. I think Jeff Leifer had like two walks in the Indians' five three loss. Um, Jorge Julio, Tommy Hunter, our buddy Chan Perry, Josh Outman, Jerry Spradlin, Austin Adams, Josh Phelps, a lot of Joshes, Vinny Cholk, Phil Maton. He looked good in the ninth inning last night, by the way. Yeah, yeah the bullpen's been so good. Even Phil Maton looks freaking fantastic. Can you go from a random Indian of the day to like a roster mainstay? We're going to see and find out. Andrew Lorraine, Jamie Wright, and Tim Worrell. Um, I also wanted to mention, shout out to our friend Mandy Bell, who immediately when Christian Arroyo was DFA'd, with one defensive inning to his Cleveland tenure, no at-bats, she said he's going to make a fantastic random Indian of the day at some point. Oh, that is such a good call. Um, you know, the next step here in hearing that list is which listener now is going to step up to the plate, put that into a spreadsheet so I can now sort it by wins above replacement in Indians history. So a couple things need to happen. Number one, someone needs to make a collage of all these people. Um, and number two, can we get a pat on the back? We have never repeated somehow. That is impressive. The odds were not good that that was going to be the case. So because we were so successful in that, I think if you're listening and you have not yet given us a five-star review, I think you need to go ahead and do that. We deserve it. <laughs> we definitely do. And we thank everybody that leaves us a review over at Apple Podcasts or at Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you happen to catch your podcasts. And thank you for following us at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, and at Selby is Godcast. Uh, no final words from you this week. Instead, I leave you with, this has been TJ Zuppi. And Zach Meisel. And you've been listening to the Cell. B is Godcast. Godcast. We are out of here, everybody. Be good. We'll see you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.